I'm going to read a post from August of 2022 while I was traveling to Guthrie, Oklahoma by way of Amarillo, Texas. And the post starts with a quote that John Steinbeck wrote in his book, Travels with Charlie. And the quote goes like this. A journey is like a marriage. The certain way to be wrong is to think you control it. And then I began to write just after that. On the backside of winter in 1997, I received a phone call about a job in Bighorn, Wyoming. I had not been home long since returning to Texas from California by way of Browning, Montana. Hell, most of my clothes were still in a big cardboard box that I had packed it all in and shipped home via UPS. I flew to Sheridan, Wyoming, and it was picked up by Mark McCarty, general manager of the Flying H Ranch. He wasn't much for conversation, and we drove out to the ranch where he drove me around, showed me all of the horses and where I would live if I was hired. It didn't take long for me to accept the job, and I was back on a plane the next day. A day after arriving home, Martin called me and asked how soon I could be back, and I told him within a week. I had no idea how I was going to get back up there. I had sold my pickup in California to buy another saddle, which I eventually sold as well. Dad told me to take a Greyhound bus. He had traveled as a kid to North Dakota on one, and I think he relished in the idea of his son taking a bus north. Three days later, Dad drove me to the station in downtown San Antonio, handed me $100, and hugged me. Once again, I was gone. My first stop to change buses was in Amarillo, Texas. This stop had a cafe that's behind me in the photograph where I sat for two hours waiting to continue my journey. I sat at the lunch counter and ordered two eggs up, ham, toast, and coffee. A man to my right started a conversation with me. Well, being deaf in my right ear, I had to turn and face him in order to hear what he had to say. As he talked, his partner in crime behind me took my plate and made off with my eggs. On the bright side, I still had my coffee, but I had dipped into that hundred bucks Dad gave me, and it's all I had for my trip. I made it to Sheridan, Wyoming, and as I stood in the parking lot of a cheap hotel waiting for a ride to the ranch, I was low on cash, but I was rich with adventure. I've been waiting a long time to share that memory, I hate seeing the restaurant closed. I wonder how many meals were snatched away over the years. That that time was, for me, was pretty exciting. I was still young, and I felt like I had seen a lot and experienced a lot just traveling around the country, working for different ranches, and getting to spend a lot of time horseback on, it seemed like, thousands of horses, but... I had just moved back home from Montana, and, and I remember sitting there one day thinking, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I I wasn't quite sure. You know, I was always positive that something would turn up, and when that phone rang, the first phone call actually was from Tommy Wayman, and he had let me know that he had spoken to Martin McCarty about hiring me to go up there to work, and... So I was pretty excited. I was somewhat in disbelief because, you know, I had just been sitting there basically wondering what the hell I was going to do next. And so once again, the universe stepped in and 
did what she does best. And so then just after that, you know, the phone rang again and it was Martin McCarty and, and he said that he wanted me to come up there for a job interview. And at first I didn't really know how I was going to get up there for a job interview until he said, we already bought you a plane ticket. You're going to fly up here. So, man, I felt like a big shot. It was, uh, it was pretty exciting. And I remember mom was at the barn working a horse. And so I went up there and told her that I had a job interview and shared in Wyoming. And she even asked me the same thing. She's like, well, how the hell are you going to get up there? And I said, they bought me a plane ticket. Man, I, I just, I felt like really important in that moment. I was kind of like, man, I've arrived again. You know, I'm, they're going to fly me up here for a job interview. And, and so it was exciting and, and also a little bit, you know, nerve wracking because I thought, what if they don't like me? You know, what if I don't get this job? And so the next day I, I flew up there and like I said, uh, you know, Mark McCarty picked me up at the airport and it was still pretty cold up there. You know, there was snow on the ground and, and I was just trying to take it all in. And like I said, Martin wasn't much on conversation. So there wasn't much he had to say. He, I think he more or less didn't really feel the need to ask me much or, or talk about much. And, and so when we got out to the ranch, he drove me around. First, he took me to the headquarters and took me in the office and just kind of talked to me for a minute just kind of about what the job was and how it came to be. And it was all at the recommend, recommendation of Tommy Wayman. So I felt pretty proud because I felt like I had done right by Tommy in the past. And, and eventually I'll write another post or talk, make another Instagram and podcast about how this all came to be. But in the meantime, then we got in the pickup. And I remember at that time, Martin had a, flip phone cellular phone and he had a brand new Chevrolet extra cab pickup and it was bright blue and I thought man this is the nicest truck I've ever seen and I had seen some nice trucks when I was in California and we drove around and and I thought well I've lived in cold climate already I just came back from it but I really like this ranch and it's really pretty and when he took me out to those broodmares and he showed me that broodmare band that was there, I immediately was hooked. You know, I, I had just left a broodmare band in Montana that I loved dearly. And I knew that I always wanted to either manage a broodmare band or have something to do with raising babies and taking care of mares along with training horses as well. And so, that was my deciding factor. I didn't care what the house looked like. I didn't care about anything but those horses, and I didn't even know them yet. And so we went to the barns, drove around, then he showed me the house where I was going to live, and, you know, it, it, was, it was a good house. It was nice. You know, it was big, and I'd be the only one living in it, at least for a time being until summer got rolling and then things would change a little bit. But when we got back to to headquarters and we went into Martin's office he asked me if I wanted the job and I said yes sir I do and then he told me that he had already decided to hire me when he met me and that was huge to me it wasn't like they didn't have choices of 
people to hire. You know, I, would, I had come recommended, and, and I felt proud about that. And so that night I ate dinner with Martin and his wife, Laura, and Ford, their, their son. He was little bitty at the time. And, and, you know, I was still fairly shy back then, and, and I had this, <laughs> this kind of hard time eating in front of people. So I had to really struggle with, with eating in front of them. And I, I just had to overcome that that somewhat of a phobia, I guess, you know, or fear of, you know, dropping food out of my mouth or doing something that wasn't considered well-mannered. And I really enjoyed that time. When I look back at that, it was a really cool time because I was accepted for who I was. You know, I, I was coming out of one place and going to another but I also didn't quite fit in with what would be eventually over the summer you know I wasn't a, a big polo player you know I, I I had history with polo and that's pretty much where my career was up until that point but I didn't I didn't fit the mold you know and, and where I did fit in is that I worked hard and that I was passionate about those horses and all I wanted to do was talk about those horses and Martin and Laura appreciated that, and I was really excited. And so after dinner, uh, they they let me take the ranch pickup back into Sheridan. They had got me a hotel room um, at the hotel. I'm going to forget the name of that hotel. I actually stayed up there last summer, and um, oh, anyway, it doesn't matter, but. I remember he said, come back to the ranch in the morning and we'll have breakfast and then I'll take you to the airport. So the next morning we had breakfast and then he took me to the airport and I flew home. And and I was I was pumped. I was so excited about this job and, you know, what was to come. You know, there was a lot of unknown, a lot of excitement. And I was just just really I felt really happy about it. You know, I was off on another adventure. So when I got home. You know, I had told mom and dad about everything, and they were happy for me. And then when the phone rang, and Martin said, how soon can you get up here? And I had told him, I said, I'll be up there within a week. And when I got off the phone with him, I thought, shit, how am I going to get up there? I don't own a pickup. I had sold my pickup when I got to California, and that would have been in the fall of 1995, and I'd had this F-100 Ford pickup I think it was a 1985 model and it had a sleeper on it and it was a pretty cool pickup but I needed another saddle and I'd sold that pickup and bought a saddle and then I t turned around and ended up selling that saddle because I needed money you know when I moved uh, to Montana and so my dad didn't hesitate and said take the Greyhound bus <laughs> and at first I was kind of like man, I really want to take Greyhound bus up to Wyoming. You know, it. I couldn't imagine sitting on that thing for hours at a time. And then something dawned on me, and it was like, man, it's just another adventure. You know, you can do this, you know. And so once again, I threw everything back into a cardboard box. And when I got to the bus station, Dad Dad took me to the bus station. I, t I told Mom goodbye at the house. And I'd like to think that Mom wasn't good at goodbyes. And she didn't want to, she didn't want to go to the Greyhound station and see me off again. And so she hugged me, told me she loved me, 
and she went to the barn to go work horses and so dad took me to the bus station and when I got there I had my saddle all wrapped up kind of like how Quigley had his saddle and Quigley down under you know I kind of always thought man this is cool if I can do this and when I got to the bus station they told me that I couldn't ship my saddle the way it was I had to put it in a box and so dad actually went over to a dumpster and he found a box that my saddle would fit in and then they had some tape there at the bus station so they wrapped it all up in a box and all my clothes were in a box and when it was time to board that bus dad gave me a big hug and he gave me a hundred dollars and he told me he loved me and once again I was off you know I climbed on that bus and I wasn't thrilled about being on the bus but at the same time I was really excited because I was off on another adventure and the thing about it is once I got north of San Antonio and kind of headed west before we cut up north towards Amarillo then I got excited because the country opened up I had only been through there a couple of times and I had a lot of sentimental attachment to a certain area crossing I-10 there was kind of an overlook out between Junction and Kerrville that that I had said goodbye to some things at when I had moved back to Texas and I remember pulling over in my truck and I stood there at that overlook and I threw some stuff over the side out into the canyon and so to see that again kind of hit home and I realized you know that I was off again it was time to go make new memories and make new adventures so it was a long way back then it seemed like a long way to Amarillo and we pulled into that bus station and, and it was late it was in the middle of the night and I didn't know what to think or what was going on so they unloaded everything out of that bus and I think that bus turned around and headed back to San Antonio and I remember how nervous I was because I was so afraid that I was going to lose my saddle you know, and I kept an eye on those boxes because they had them all stacked up on the curb. And the way that bus station was in Amarillo, or still is today without the cafe being open, is it was kind of a big drive-through carport. And they would unload those buses and stack all that stuff right outside. And then there was a cafe attached to that that building. And so at one point, I was hungry. And... I decided my stuff was safe. No one was going to steal it. It was probably too heavy for somebody to pick up and run with. So I went and sat down at the counter in that cafe, and I ordered or I ordered breakfast. And, and I still, to this day, one of my favorite things to eat, it doesn't matter if it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, is, is I, like, I like my eggs fried sunny side up. I like toast, and I like ham, and I just stack it all up on that toast and eat it. And... I remember ordering breakfast and my coffee and I sat down at that counter and those chairs swiveled so you could kind of swivel around side to side and there was a guy that sat down to me sat down next to me on that right side and he started to make small talk and and for those that don't know I'm I'm deaf I'm completely deaf in my right ear so a lot of times when I have conversations with people I have to turn my head to the side so I can hear him out of my left ear and sometimes I can look at him you know in the face and hear him and sometimes I just have to completely turn my left ear to him uh, especially if there's a lot of other people and there's crowd noise so when I turned 
to listen to him talking and then I was answering his questions and kind of entertaining his small talk and and I remember with my left hand I was holding on to the I had my hand over the top of my coffee cup and I could feel the heat from that coffee in the palm of my hand and and I didn't think anything of it and then you know he quit that conversation pretty quick and he left and when I turned around my plate of food was gone and I (laughs) And I thought right there at that moment, I thought, God dang it, somebody just stole my breakfast. I mean, in a sense, it was comical, and in a sense, it was desperate. You know, I think, gosh, if two guys got to work together to steal one guy's breakfast, they needed it more than me. And, you know, I thought, this isn't starting out real well. You know, I'm, I just had my, my food stolen, you know, and... So anyway, I, I was a little bit nervous because I all I had, I didn't have any, any money of my own. That $100 was going to last me that trip up there, and then it kind of had to get me started, you know, until I would get paid my first paycheck. So I was pretty nervous about it, so I was kind of frugal, and they had, a, they had a vending machine, so I just went over to that vending machine and... And I got a snack out of that vending machine. And luckily, they just kept filling my coffee cup for me until it was time to load up on that bus again. So I loaded up on that bus, and we headed north. And I remember when the sun was coming up, if I remember right, we were in Colorado. And we're heading north, and I look off in the bar ditch that separated the interstate, and there was a damn Greyhound bus upside down in the ditch. (laughs) And I kind of thought, well... I hope we're not next, you know. I was thinking, this isn't good when you see a Greyhound bus, you know, legs up in the bar ditch and there's snow and ice all over the interstate. But it didn't do much, and we had made a couple more stops. And when we got to Sheridan, we pulled off the interstate, and it would have been the the exit that takes you just downtown. So when you get off that exit, you go under the interstate, and there was this this motel right there on the on the other side of the road and that was where the bus the greyhound bus stop was and so we pulled in there and i was the only passenger getting off in sheridan wyoming so they put my two boxes um outside on the ground and i had to wait you know i called actually from a payphone. i called martin and said i was arri- that i had arrived and i was at that hotel um and uh, he said, I'm going to send Duffy to come pick you up. And Duffy at the time was their wildlife manager. And so I sat there for a while and I waited. And I remember I had to open my box of clothes and I had to dig out a coat. I dug out my rag, tied it around my neck. And, and I remember fishing for my snow packs. They had been in the bottom of the box. And I thought, I'm going to need these as soon as I get to the ranch. So I kind of killed time by by repacking my box and getting stuff out that I needed and I sat there and and uh I thought man this is wild you know I I just made a Greyhound bus trip up north and here I was sitting in Sheridan Wyoming you know waiting for a ride to take me out to a ranch to start my new job and I was really excited about it and uh you know I like I said you know I was I was low on cash but I was rich with adventure and to this day I still remember that you know I remember just being so damn excited about doing something else and I never worried about money much Um, 
I guess probably because I was young and somewhat reckless and careless with money anyway, but I knew I would eventually get paid and, you know, I can, I could settle in and do my work. And, and so when I got to the ranch, I moved into my house and, uh, the only thing that was in that house was a recliner in the living room and a bed in the master bedroom and there was nothing else in that house Ah, i think there was an old dining room table in the kitchen but other than that the house was empty it was a big house it had two other bedrooms and i had a master bedroom with a master bath in it there was a big living room and nice kitchen and dining room and and i felt kind of overmounted with that big house and, and it was kind of a an old house it had shag carpet in it and anyway it was cool you know I was I was happy to have it and one of the things that that I had packed in my box was books I had some Ben Green books and I had some Larry McMurtry books and also I had some Louis L'Amour books my dad loved reading Louis L'Amour and so he gave me some of his Louis L'Amour books and and I'll be honest I didn't like Louis L'Amour books but I kept them because dad gave them to me and they meant something to him but I remember when I got settled in I had a they the ranch pickup I had was a mid-80s model four three-quarter ton with a flatbed on it and I remember and it was a four-speed transmission and so the first thing I did once I got settled in is I went and drove through all of those brood mares. I went to the barn and started cleaning the barn because the barn hadn't been used in a while and I, I think they just kind of left it a mess after the last guy had left. And so I started wanting to kind of just get to know that barn and I had to start preparing for those mares to start foaling because they were going to foal when it was still cold outside. And I wanted to make sure that I started on the right foot with having stalls ready for those mares and foals and I just wanted to be organized and I also was lonely you know I, I sat in that house and I'd sit in that chair and if I wasn't reading a book I felt kind of lonely you know it, it was hard and so the best thing for that was to just go get busy and work and I remember it was cold you know I'd I'd have to put all my gear on and go to that barn and, and I'd work in those stalls and I'd get hay stacked and organized and I'd go drive through those mares and kind of start checking them. And before long, I had made a plan to kind of get those mares on my schedule. And one day I, I went to Martin and I said, you know, I had asked him, you know, kind of how I could spend money, you know, what I could spend money on what I could do to make my job efficient and also make those mares like me better. Because anybody knows a broodmare band, you know, you're going to have some that don't want to be caught, some that are just kind of silly and some really great mares that are well-behaved. And, and I kind of told them my plan. I said, you know, I, I want to get a bunch of morales or feed bags, and I want to get those broodmares in every morning and put feed bags on them, let them eat grain, and by the time I get all their feed bags on, I can go back around and start pulling all those feed bags off. And I could look at those mares and see who was close and, you know, who, who needed to be looked after more. And 
he thought that was a hell of an idea. He hadn't even thought about that. And I had to do that with a lot of the horses there just because they were hard to catch. But I also wanted to get these horses to where when I either honked the horn or I would yell for them because you could, you could yell and your voice would echo kind of through that little bowl right there where, where those horses, where those mares, you know, were, were pastured. And before long, you know, they would come in as soon as they, they heard you. So I started that program with them, and before long, I had those mares eating out of my hand, you know, but literally they were eating out of those feed bags. And I got them gentle because some of those mares didn't want to be caught. So if I still had some of those mares that were a little bit iffy about when you took those feed bags off, they'd kind of want to wheel away from you and run off, I would catch those mares. And I would tie them up, and I would just kind of, hang out you know because it I wasn't doing I was starting to ride some of those horses but it was still pretty cold and snowy and so I was spending a lot of time just getting these horses on my program and on my schedule so I, I was pretty proud of myself for doing that and so when those horses started getting close to foaling I was taking them in and and I would some of those mares I was putting into stalls and and when they were ready to foal um, I'd put them in these, these bigger stalls and I'd start checking on them. And the funny thing about it is I had only learned about brood mares by taking care of brood mares. And obviously, you know, little things here and there from mom and from everybody else I had worked for, but I was not some sort of brood mare expert. You know, I had to use instinct and common sense and a little bit of trial and error and I can remember that first mare that I thought was going to foal. And I caught her, and I don't remember that mare's name. She was a gray mare, and she was a little silly. But I remember the day I caught her, and I had to take her in because she was damn close to foaling. And, and the way that barn was is it had, these, it had a big snow bank right in front of the barn so you would have to walk past that snow bank and go into that barn and you could slide that door shut and when I led that mare and I went to lead her into that barn she kind of pulled away from me and when she did she reared straight up in the air and came back down on me and she stuffed me down into that snow bank and I can remember if the snow bank hadn't have been there she probably would have broken something and so she stuffed me down into that snowbank, and I kind of had to scratch myself up out of that snowbank, but she had ripped the entire front off of my coat. And this was a blue Columbia downfield coat that I had bought at the thrift store, and man, I was proud of that coat. And when I got up off the ground, she had run off, and so I had to go back to catch her. But I remember looking down and seeing the whole front of that coat ripped off and feathers going everywhere, and... I was pissed. You know, I thought, man, this is my favorite coat. And I bought it actually at a thrift store up in Montana uh, in Cutbank. And um, so anyway, I got her caught, put her in the stall, went and got a different coat. And I watched that mare all night. I would drive back and forth from my house to the barn, which was just, I don't know, probably 300 yards away. And when I went in there and she had laid down to have that colt, I was excited. I was proud because I had trusted my instinct 
and I stuck with it. You know, I, I always kind of questioned myself, like, what the hell am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. But I did know what I was doing because I had made it a point to know horses, and not just those horses, but every horse. And I was so proud that next morning, you know, seeing that fault standing up and sucking on that mare. And I gave it a day or so. I would take that mare out and walk her up and down the alleyway of that barn, and that colt would follow her around, and then I'd put her up. And when, when the weather got warm and the sun was shining, by that time I had had two more foals, one in the barn and then another mare had foaled outside. Thankfully, she foaled during the day and the sun was shining. So I started putting those mares and colts back out in the pasture. And even though it was somewhat cold and, and you know, there was snow on the ground, you know, those horses were used to it by then. And even those foals were, they were pretty hardy. So I, I had started off on a good note and I was super pumped, you know, about doing something, doing it well and trusting myself and so those memories of that I, I to this day I hold very dear because it was you know something that I felt like I was born to do and and even during the summer you know even you know like I said before burning the candle at both ends you know being young and wild and going out to the bar every night and then getting up and working all day, I still always honored those mares and foals. And when it came time to turn the stud out, that was a whole nother story. And, and I'll save that for another podcast because it was, it was a pretty wild time, uh, with that first stallion. But, um, you know, going back through all of this, you know, I'd started out that Instagram post with a quote from travels with Charlie by Ston John Steinbeck, which was, a great book, an easy book, and one of the kind of brighter books that John Steinbeck wrote. And, and I think people know by now that know me know that John Steinbeck was one of my favorite writers, favorite authors of all time. So what I meant by that is, is you know, we can't always control everything. So my journey to... Wyoming, you know, some things were out of my hands and other things I just had to trust, you know, and, and, and nothing is ever completely in our control. You know, I, I can talk about, you know, the things that I managed, but just being able to manage those things doesn't always mean you can control the outcome of those things. So, you know, the certain way to be wrong is to think you can control it. And I found it to be such a fitting passage from the book that I had to use it you know and like I've said before you know I write down a lot of things hoping that one day I can use them and so this was another one when I when I was on my way to Guthrie Oklahoma by way of Amarillo I knew that it was time to find that Greyhound station and to make that post and I sat down on the curb and I remember trying to set my phone up to take pictures and I found an old bucket and it was it was kind of in that that where they'd park those buses. And I sat that bucket up kind of in the middle of the road and I had a water bottle and I set my phone on that 
against that water bottle and I remember cars driving by and I just get these strange looks and then I laugh about it now thinking I give people the same strange looks when I see them doing you know selfies or or uh, doing influencer photographs out in the middle of roads and all that kind of stuff but but I remember when when I pulled up to that <laughs> to that Greyhound station that day it it really hit hard you know it was a it was a happy time, but it was also hard knowing that at that time, mom and dad were no longer with us, and so it was hard for me to think about, you know, dad giving me that $100 and giving me a hug, you know, and, and of course, I had dad long, long after that, you know, it, you know, it was, that was a long time ago, and, but I think about, you know, the times that you know, I was mad, you know, or angry at mom and dad for things, you know, or, or I'd spent so much time away from home, you know, but, but it was all meant to be. And those are still things that are out of our control. And so that really hit, hit hard for me at that time. But it was, once again, I always feel honored and I feel grateful for those memories, good and bad, and for those adventures and misadventures and they wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had embraced all of the opportunities. You know, those, those times where you could say no, but you know better, and you say yes. And, you know, so that was another thing. You know, it, I, I wouldn't have been going to Amarillo if it wasn't for something else that the universe had given me. And, and that was the opportunity to have a bit made by Billy Clapper and it worked out that I could go to Amarillo stay the night with my horse drive through Pampa on my way to Guthrie Oklahoma and pick up that bit from Mr. Billy and I'm saving that for another in another uh, podcast that that I'm liable to do next but it it was one of those things that you just have to let happen and when it happens, you know, the universe is shining on you. You know, it, it's making things happen. And so, you know, it, it, there's just so many things we can apply to the, the good and bad outcomes in our lives. And most of it is out of our control. So with all that being said, you know, I, I, I sit here to, tonight doing this, this podcast episode and I have a broken arm and it was another one of those things that I couldn't help, you know, it happened, you know, and, and it was a freak accident, but I broke my arm and it's sitting here in a cast waiting to have surgery in a couple of days, but it's okay. You know, it, 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 it'll heal and I'll move on to the next thing, but it always makes me think back of all those other times where I broke bones and hurt myself and once again they're out of our control there was nothing I could do today that would have prevented me from breaking my arm and that's just life you know there, there are things we can do but in the bigger picture we're, we're somewhat powerless and we just have to roll with the punches we just have to go with the flow of those things and the more we accept that 
it's out of our control and out of our hands, the happier we will remain and the easier we can move on to something else. You know, we can let things go. We can move on. And that's going to be a running theme with a lot of what I have to say is learning to let go and learning to accept things. And I'm a big advocate for the universe. Um, you know, she's always there to help us succeed, even when we think she's not. And I think a lot of that goes with just having faith in everything we do. And everybody's faith is different, but everybody's faith is strong and powerful. So um, with all that being said, uh, I think I'll quit here for the day. Um, this post meant a lot to me. <laughs> when I read it the other day, it, it made me emotional, and it damn sure made me emotional being able to share it with everybody. So I'd like to thank everybody for always tuning into this podcast. Um, it's a big leap for me. And like I said, I'm still finding my voice and I'm finding power in my voice with the power that I found in my words. So, uh, tune in next time and remember there's always something to chase. Adios.